0: At length, towards noon, upon the final dismissal of the ship's riggers, and after the Pequod had been hauled out from the wharf, and after the ever-thoughtful Charity had come off in a whaleboat with her last gift, a nightcap for Stubb, the second mate, her brother-in-law, and a spare Bible for the steward, after all this, the two captains, Peleg and Bildad, issued from the cabin, and turning to the chief mate, Peleg said, "'Now, Mr. Starbuck, are you sure everything is right? "'Captain Ahab is all ready. "'Just spoke to him. "'Nothing more to be got from shore, eh? "'Well, call all hands, then. muster 'em aft here. "'Blast him. "'No need of profane words. "'However great the hurry, Peleg,' said dad, "'But away with thee, friend Starbuck, "'and do our bidding.' "'How now?' Here, upon the very point of starting for the voyage, Captain Peleg and Captain Bildad were going it with a high hand on the quarter-deck, just as if they were to be joint commanders at sea, as well as to all appearances in port. And as for Captain Ahab, no sign of him was yet to be seen. Only they said he was in the cabin. But then the idea was that his presence was by no means necessary in getting the ship under way, and steering her well out to sea. Indeed, as that was not at all his proper business, but the pilot's. And as he was not yet completely recovered, so they said, therefore Captain Ahab stayed below. And all this seemed natural enough, especially as in the merchant service many captains never show themselves on deck for a considerable time after heaving up the anchor, but remain over the cabin table, having a farewell merry-making with their shore friends before they quit the ship for good with the pilot. But there was not much chance to think over the matter, for Captain Peleg was now all alive. He seemed to do most of the talking and commanding, and not Bildad. Aft here, ye sons of bachelors, he cried, as the sailors lingered at the mainmast. Mr. Starbuck, drive em aft. Strike the tent there was the next order. As I hinted before, this whalebone marquee was never pitched except in port and on board the Pequod for thirty years. The order to strike the tent was well known to be the next thing to heaving up the anchor. Man the capstan, blood and thunder, jump, was the next command, and the crew sprang for the hand spikes. Now, in getting under way... The station generally occupied by the pilot is the forward part of the ship, and here Bildad, who with Peleg, be it known, in addition to his other officers, was one of the licensed pilots of the port, he being suspected to have got himself made a pilot in order to save the Nantucket pilot fee to all the ships he was concerned in, for he never piloted any other craft. Bildad, I say, might now be seen selectively engaged in looking over the bows for the approaching anchor, and at intervals singing what seemed a dismal stave of psalmody to cheer the hands at the windlass, who roared forth some sort of a chorus about the girls in Boobal Alley with hearty goodwill. Nevertheless, not three days previous, Dad had told them that no profane songs would be allowed on board the Pequod, particularly in getting underway, and Charity, his sister, had placed a small choice copy of Watts in each seaman's berth. Meantime, overseeing the other part of the ship, Captain Peleg ripped and swore astern in the most frightful manner. I almost thought he would sink the ship before the anchor could be got up. Involuntarily, I paused on my handspike and told Queequeg to do the same, thinking of the perils we both ran in starting on the voyage with such a devil for a pilot. I was comforting myself, however, with the thought that in pious Bildad might be found some salvation, spite of his seven hundred and seventy-seventh lay, when I felt a sudden sharp poke in my rear, and turning round was horrified at the apparition of Captain Peleg in the act of withdrawing his leg from my immediate vicinity. That was my first kick. "'Is that the way they heave in the merchant service?' he roared. Spring, thou sheephead, spring and break thy backbone. Why don't ye spring, I say, all of ye spring? Cohog, spring, thou chap with the red whiskers, spring there, scotch cap, spring, thou green pants. Spring, I say, all of ye, and spring your eyes out. And so saying, he moved along the windlass, here and there using his leg very freely, while Bildad kept leading off with his psalmody. Thanks, I. Captain Peleg must have been drinking something today. At last, the anchor was up, the sails were set, and off we glided. It was a short, cold Christmas, and as the short northern day merged into night, we found ourselves almost broad upon the wintry ocean, whose freezing spray cased us in ice as in polished armor. The long rows of teeth on the bulwarks glistened in the moonlight, and like the white ivory tusks of some huge elephant, vast curving icicles depended from the bows. Lank Bildad, as pilot, headed the first watch, and ever and anon, as the old craft deep-dived into the green seas and sent the shivering frost all over her, and the winds howled and the cordage rang, his steady notes were heard. "'Sweet fields beyond the swelling flood "'stand dressed in living green, "'so do the Jews old Canaan stood "'while Jordan rolled between. "'Never did those sweet words "'sound more sweetly to me than then. "'They were full of hope and fruition, in "'spite of this frigid winter night and the boisterous Atlantic, "'spite of my wet feet and wetter jacket. "'There was yet, it then seemed to me, "'many a pleasant haven in store.' In meads and glades so eternally vernal that the grass shot up by the spring, untrodden, unwilted, remains at midsummer. At last we gained such an offing that the two pilots were needed no longer. The stout sailboat that had accompanied us began ranging alongside. It was curious and not unpleasing how Peleg and Bildad were affected at this juncture, especially Captain Bildad. For loath to depart, yet very loath to leave, for good, a ship bound on so long and perilous a voyage, beyond both stormy capes, a ship in which some thousands of his hard-earned dollars were invested, a ship in which an old shipmate sailed as captain, a man almost as old as he, once more starting to encounter all the terrors of the pitiless jaw, Loath to say good to a thing so every way brimful of every interest to him. Poor old Bildad lingered long, paced the deck with anxious strides, ran down into the cabin to speak another farewell word there, again came on deck and looked to windward, looked towards the wide and endless waters, only bounded by the far-off unsea eastern continents, looked towards the land, looked aloft, looked right and left. Looked everywhere and nowhere, and at last, mechanically coiling a rope upon its pin, convulsively grasped stout Peleg by the hand, and holding up a lantern, for a moment stood gazing heroically in his face, as much as to say, Nevertheless, friend Peleg, I can stand it. Yes, I can. As for Peleg himself, he took it more like a philosopher— But for all his philosophy, there was a tear twinkling in his eye when the lantern came too near. And he, too, did not a little run from cabin to deck, now a word below, and now a word with Starbuck, the chief mate. But at last he turned to his comrade with a final sort of look about him. "'Captain Bildad, come, old shipmate, we must go. Back the main yard there, boat ahoy!' Stand by to come close alongside now. Careful, careful. Come, Bildad boy, say your last. Luck to ye, Starbuck. Luck to ye, Mr. Stubb. Luck to ye, Mr. Flask. Goodbye and good luck to ye all. In this day three years, I'll have a hot supper smoking for ye in old Nantucket. Hurrah and away. God bless ye, and have you in his holy keeping, men, murmured old Bildad, almost incoherently. I hope you'll have fine weather now, so that Captain Ahab may soon be moving among ye. A pleasant sun is all he needs, and you'll have plenty of them in the tropic voyage ye go. Be careful in the hunt, ye mates. Don't stave the boats needlessly, ye harpooners. Good white cedar plank is raised full three percent within the year. Don't forget your prayers, either. Mr. Starbuck, mind that cooper, don't waste the spare staves. Oh, the sail-needles are in the green locker. Don't wail at too much a lord's days, men. But don't miss a fair chance, either. That's rejecting heaven's good gifts. Have an eye to the molasses, tears, Mr. Stubb. It was a little leaky, I thought. If ye touch at the islands, Mr. Flask, beware of fornication. Goodbye, goodbye. Don't keep that cheese too long down in the hold, Mr. Starbuck. It'll spoil. Be careful with the butter. Twenty cents the pound it was. And mind ye if... Come, come, Captain Bildad, stop palavering away. And with that, Peleg hurried him over the side, and both dropped into the boat. Ship and boat diverged. The cold, damp night breeze blew between. A screaming gull flew overhead. The two hulls wildly rolled. We gave three heavy-hearted cheers and blindly plunged like fate into the lone Atlantic. Chapter 23 The Lee Shore. Some chapters back, one Bolkington was spoken of, a tall, new landed mariner encountered in New Bedford at the inn. When on that shivering winter's night the Pequod thrust her vindictive bows into the cold, malicious waves, who should I see standing at her helm but Bolkington? I looked with sympathetic awe and fearfulness upon the man who in midwinter just landed from a four years dangerous voyage, could so unrestingly push off again for still another tempestuous term. The land seems scorching to his feet. Wonderfulest things are ever the unmentionable. Deep memories yield no epitaphs. This six-inch chapter is the stoneless grave of Bolkington. Let me only say that it fared with him as with the storm-tossed ship, that miserably drives along the leeward land. The port would fain give succor. The port is pitiful. In the port is safety, comfort, hearthstone, supper, warm blankets, friends, all that's kind to our mortalities. But in that gale, the port, the land, is that ship's direst jeopardy. She must fly all hospitality. One touch of land, though it but graze the keel, would make her shudder through and through. With all her might, she crowds all sail offshore. In so doing, fights against the very winds that fain would blow her homeward. Seeks all the last sea's landlessness again. For refuge's sake, forlornly rushing into peril, her only friend, her bitterest foe. Now ye know, Bulkington, glimpses do ye seem to see of that mortally intolerable truth, that all deep, earnest thinking is but the intrepid effort of the soul to keep the open independence of her sea, while the wildest winds of heaven and earth conspire to cast her on the treacherous, slavish shore. But, as in landlessness alone resides highest truth, shoreless, indefinite as God, so better is it to perish in that howling infinite than to be ingloriously dashed upon the lea even if that were safety. For warm like then, oh, who would craven crawl to land? Terrors of the terrible, is all this agony so vain? Take heart, take heart, O Bulkington, bear thee grimly, demigod, up from the spray of thy ocean perishing, straight up leaps thy apotheosis.